Well, good morning to each one of you. I think it is time to, to get started, so it is good to be with you again. Uh, for those of you who are newer, uh, my name is Brian Gaines. I get to serve as the pastor of Family Discipleship at Grace Community Church in Glen Rose, Texas, about oh, an hour southwest of here. And I've had the privilege of serving there as the director of Grace Biblical Counseling for about the last 14 years. And so it is exciting to, to see this conference continue to grow, uh, more and more people wanting to be equipped, and that is wonderful. So to that end, let me, let me pray for us as we get started this morning. Oh, Father, we come before you and we rejoice that you are good and you do good. And we know that through the gospel, through your Son, who has laid down his life, that we might be reconciled unto you. And Father, you have granted to us, through him, uh, your spirit, and you have given to us your word. And so we pray as we open your word this morning, as we consider this great privilege of prayer, Father, that you would cause our love to abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that we may be able to approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to your glory and praise, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, as you can see, this session is going to be on teaching counselees to pray biblically. And so as we get started, let me put this question before you. Uh, what have been two of the most significant graces in your own life? Means of grace in your own life. What have been perhaps the two most significant? The word and prayer. Very good. The word and prayer. And certainly those are probably should be the first and foremost in that. So let's think about this for just a moment. What makes the word so important? Why is the word essential, necessary, vital? Okay, it's how God speaks to us. Tells us who God is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah, good. Tells us who we are when we read it. It reads us. It's the truth. The comforting guide. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Convicts, encourages. Yeah, we could go on and on and on, right? It's, it's through the word that God has chosen to reveal himself. It's through the word that we may come to know his son. Uh, it's through the word, um, which is inspired by God, that we can teach, rebuke, correct, and train. Uh, it's through the word of God um, that we can uh, build our own lives upon the rock. And it's upon the rock, upon Christ, the word and Christ, that we are enabled to stand. And so the word of God is obviously essential. And that's why we do biblical counseling, right? What about prayer? Uh, let's, let's take just a moment to, to define prayer and think about why it is so important. And so what is prayer? A very concise definition uh, that I'll just throw out there from John Calvin. It is our communication and our communion with God. Uh, perhaps a very succinct definition there. God speaks to us through his word and then we respond through prayer. Um, in his book, A Labor of Love, uh, Stephen Yule, in quoting William Garnell, writes this concerning prayer. It says, prayer is nothing but the promise reversed 
for God's word formed into an argument and retorted by faith upon God again. And so in other words, it's through the scriptures that we have the content to inform us not only of who God is, but how to relate to him. And so as we think about the scriptures, uh, next question as it relates to prayer, what is prayer and why pray? Um, What makes prayer so important? And again, we could spend a lot of time, uh, we could spend more than an hour just focusing on why prayer is so important. But for the sake of time, I've listed just a few there in your notes, and so I'm going to run through these quickly, and we'll expound on some of these here in a little bit. But many reasons why prayer is so important. One, to know more of God. And we're going to see that as we look into Colossians 1 here in a little bit. But another reason to pray is to accept God's will. Uh, the prayer of Psalm 119.36 is incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. All right. We want to know the will of God. We, we naturally want to do certain things. And each morning we wake up, this, this ought to be in essence our prayer. Incline my heart to your testimony, to your word and not to selfishness today, but to live for your glory. And to that end, again, Stephen Yule wrote this. We pray that we might accept what God wills as what is best. When he wills sickness, sickness is better than health. When he wills valleys, valleys are better than mountaintops. When he wills death, death is better than life. Do you struggle to believe and accept this? We must pray. And so we pray that we would know the will of God. And again, that was from his book, A Labor of Love. Next, we pray that we may be able to stand firm when tempted and tried. If we are going to stand firm, it must be in his strength. Uh, Ephesians 6, which we'll come back to here in a little bit. We also pray that we will become more like Christ. Uh, Donald Whitney wrote that one of the main reasons for a lack of godliness is prayerlessness. We also pray that we may be able to obey God's will. Again, from Stephen Yule. On this, he says, God commands us to love one another, abstain from what is evil, pursue righteousness, submit to those in authority over us, be patient and humble, love our spouse and love our neighbor. We can't do any of these things in our own strength. We can't obey in our own power. And so we must Pray, right? We need him to grant us the strength to do that which he has called us to do. We also pray because Jesus expects us to pray. And so think through the Lord's Prayer. Uh, Disciples say, Lord, teach us how to pray. And Jesus then teaches them how to pray. And listen to this. In Matthew 6, 5, Jesus says, and when you pray. And then in verse 6, but when you pray. And then in verse 7, and when you pray. And then in verse 9, pray then like this. And so our Lord, through his blood, has granted us the great privilege to come before the Father. And so he then expects us to take advantage of that great privilege he's given to us. The last reason on your handout there as to why to pray is because God calls us to pray. Colossians chapter 4, verse 2, the Apostle Paul there writes, devote yourselves to to prayer. We can be devoted to many things, but above all else, in our worship of God, we need to be devoted 
to prayer. Now, think about this in biblical counseling. Which of these two graces, the word or prayer, do we tend to give more emphasis or more time? The word, because we're doing biblical counseling. We want to give them the word. We want to give them the word. Now, for those of you who have done formal counseling, have you ever had counseling not go so well? Perhaps it didn't even end well. Okay. And for those of you who have gone through the ACBC certification and you've done your 50 case reports, do you remember what is at the very bottom of each page on those case reports? Anybody remember that? <laughs> I don't I'll, I'll be honest, I don't remember. Okay. I remembered because I've, I've, I've actually heated it a few times and it's quite humbling. And so here's the phrase, the sentence on the bottom of those case reports. It says, in is the case not progressing. C.J. Adams, 50, not five, but 50 failure factors in the Christian Counselor's Manual. And so, man, you read through that and, and every time I read this, I'm like, okay, yeah, I've, I've still got quite a bit of room to grow here. Uh, but of those 50, one of the, the failure factors, so to speak, is, is kind of the obvious. Have you prayed about the problem? You've been faithful to bring the word to them, to open the word with them, try to help them understand the word. But have you really given it prayer? Have you encouraged them to be people of prayer? Now, I'm going to be transparent. Part of the reason that I put this session together is because I've been convicted that I need to be more committed to prayer, both in preparation, both during counseling and both following counseling session. And also, after years of counseling now, I've also wondered how come some people just don't seem to change and grow, or at least not at the pace that, that I would like to see and I think God would want them to see. And often it comes back down to prayer. There's just a lack of prayer, or at least a lack of biblical prayer. And so this is, this is uh, an ongoing struggle. Uh, John Bunyan said this. This is so good. You can do more than pray after you have prayed, but you cannot do more than pray until you have prayed. Okay, in other words, prayer is essential to make any progress. And after you prayed and you continue to pray, then you can continue to do more as you depend upon him and his strength and for him to bear fruit in your ministry. And so let's think about this for a moment in your own prayer lives. What are some of the passages that you return to over and over again that you just find yourself crying out, praising, worshiping, interceding through certain texts in the Bibles? What are some of those texts that you go to over and over and over again and, and use to form your prayers? Okay, Joshua 1 9. Strong and courageous. Psalm 121. Yeah, look to the Lord. Psalm 51. Yeah, prayer of repentance, confession. Psalm 145. Psalm Mm hmm. Yeah, good. Praise the Lord. Psalm 19. Psalm 19, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Psalm one nineteen. Yeah. One thirty nine. Yeah. 
Yeah, there's a great one in there that I pray on a regular basis. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me, know my thoughts. See if there be any grievous way within me and lead me in the way everlasting. Yeah. And so these are, are things that inform our prayer. The Psalms, most of us use the Psalms probably on a regular basis. Uh, Romans 8 is a regular one in my prayer time. Uh, Romans 12 also, as I think about relationships with others and living out the gospel. Uh, this past year, though, especially... Uh, it's been the prayers in the Bible that I focused in on and guiding my own prayers. And I've been praying more and more um, the prayers of the Bible. And the more I pray the prayers of the Bible, the more I want to pray the prayers of the Bible. Um, and so a really great guide to, to consider. And I don't know if he's in the Resource Center or not, but both of these are excellent. A little deeper, a little bit slower read, but very, very good. Gleanings from Paul, the Prayers of the Apostle by A.W. Pink. Uh, maybe you probably are familiar with his book, the Attributes of God. Uh, this is equally as good as far as um, just understanding the prayers of Paul and, and making that a part of your prayer. Uh, and then basically a modern rendering of that is uh, D.A. Carson's A Call to Spiritual Reformation, Praying with Paul. And again, just taking the prayers of Paul and um, understanding them and forming those into your own prayers. So I found those incredibly Helpful. And really, I've kind of concluded that perhaps the best way that we can learn to pray biblically is to study and pray the prayers of the Bible. It's, it's a great concept, is it not? Um, but I found that to be to be very much true. Now, for the sake of our time together this morning, we're going to focus in on just one of those prayers. Um, we can focus in on a lot of them, but we just don't have time. So we're going to focus in on one. I'm going to try to encourage you with it, to somewhat equip you with it, uh, that you may be able to use it in your own life, as well as maybe explain it to a counselee and encourage them uh, to pray biblically according to um, the prayer of Paul that we're going to find in Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 14. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 14. And as you turn there, uh, listen to these words by Kent Hughes concerning Paul's prayer in Colossians 1. Uh, 9 through 14. He writes this. Uh, His prayer was a beautifully constructed tapestry that makes a perfect model for the fabric of our own prayers. His examples tell us how to pray for the knowledge and then for the conduct of the church. Now, isn't that what we desire in helping others? For them to, one, rightly know God's word, to know God's will, and then to live accordingly. And so that is Paul's prayer here for those at Colossae. And so to that end, let's read Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 14, as we consider how to use this in teaching others to pray biblically. Colossians 1, starting in verse 9. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased... To pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness 
of sins. And so verse 9 here starts out, uh, and so from the day we heard. Well, what is it that Paul and Timothy had heard? Well, as you look there at verses 3 through 8, it tells us that Paul and Timothy were giving thanks to God because they had heard that the believers there at Colossae were demonstrating the evidence of saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet it was not enough for Paul to just encourage them that, that he and Timothy had been praying for them. He encourages them by sharing with them the prayer that he is praying for them. And this serves as a great model for us in helping others uh, know how to pray, even as we pray with them and for them. And so Colossians chapter one, verse nine, it starts out. We have not ceased to pray for you. We have not ceased to pray for you. Now, what does it mean that Paul and Timothy had not ceased to pray for them? Did they literally stay on their knees 24-7, neglecting everything else, not eating, not drinking, doing nothing, but praying for them unceasingly? Is that what that means? In 1 Thessalonians 5.17, Paul writes, pray without ceasing. And so as we teach our counselees to pray, we want to teach them unceasing prayer, to pray without ceasing. Now, again, what that probably doesn't look like is as you meet with them and you want to encourage them in prayer that as your first homework assignment on the way home, as they're driving, they're to fold their hands, bow their heads, close their eyes and drive by faith, not by sight. Right? If they did that and there was others in the car, they would probably get screamed at to cease your unceasing prayer. Right. And, and if they did that, you might not actually see them in a counseling room again. It may be glory before you see them again if they drive in that way. And so that's not what he has in mind here. And so what does it look like to have unceasing prayer in our lives? Well, I think John MacArthur summarizes well um, what it means to pray without ceasing or to have unceasing prayer. And in that, he basically says that we need to be acknowledging two things at all times. We need to have a God consciousness and we also need to have a people consciousness. And so first related to a God consciousness uh, to pray without ceasing means that we want to help our counselees have awareness of God in all things. So whether they eat or drink or whatever they do, they're seeking to do all to the glory of God. And so in prayer, we encourage them to acknowledge that God is worthy and also that they are needy. And so concerning unceasing prayer, uh, going back to D.A. Carson's book, he wrote this. When Paul tells the Colossians that he has not stopped praying for them, he implies that there are some things for which we must pray again and again. Prayer is God's appointed means for appropriating the blessings that are ours in Christ Jesus. Many of the best of those blessings we need again and again. And so we must constantly pray. Now, when Jesus in Matthew 6 taught his disciples to pray, um, he taught them to ask for daily bread, right? So I've got a, a little four-year-old daughter. And if she's thirsty and she's in the kitchen, she can't quite reach the sink by herself. And so if she needs a drink, what does she have to do? She has to ask. And of course, as her father, I'm delighted to be able to give her that which she desires and in a real sense needs. 
Now, what about if you have a counselee who comes to you who's perhaps struggling with a life-dominating sin? Uh, perhaps they're in, entangled in pornography. Well, Jesus taught his disciples to pray and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, should this be a one-time prayer? Or does this need to be a consistent, ongoing prayer? Okay, whether it's pornography or anger, anxiety, despair, whatever it may be that we're struggling with. Um, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. It needs to be a regular, ongoing prayer because every day we need him. We need his grace. We need his wisdom. And so if you're counseling and perhaps there's not progress in your counselee, you're not seeing growth, you're not seeing real change, uh, maybe a good question from this text to ask them would be this. Could you tell me? What your dependence upon God through prayer looks like throughout each day in regards to your struggle. Now, that's very different than have you prayed about it? All right. We want to be more specific and understand, are they really praying? Are they praying, as a Puritan said, in their prayers? Are they really praying? Well, in ceasing prayer means we not only view all circumstances in relation to God uh, and have a God awareness, but also unceasing prayer involves a horizontal component of having a people consciousness, a people awareness to pray without ceasing means seeking to glorify God in all things. And of course, that involves loving others um, and we love others best as we Pray for them. Uh, it's been said, and this is really good, and I forgot where I heard this or read this, but it, it stuck with me. If you love someone, you will pray for them. And the more you pray for them, the more you will love them. Now, just think about that implications in your counseling. Both in us towards them as a counselee, but also them and whatever struggle they may be having in regards to their relationships. And so you might ask your counselee, in addition to praying for themselves, um, this question, what could you consistently pray for others regarding your situation? Okay, we want them to be praying about how they can honor the Lord and be faithful and glorify him in the midst of a situation. But if it's a marriage situation, how can you be praying for your spouse that he or she would come to glorify the Lord? Um, what verses, what is God's will for them that you can pray for them as well, rather than Stewing on maybe something they did, how can you rather take them before God in prayer? Now, another question, what happens when we, we cease to pray throughout any given day? Just practically speaking, what happens? Weakness? Sin abounds. More self-dependent. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so think through Proverbs, what, 3, 5, and 6? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. What is prayer? It's ultimately trusting, depending upon the Lord. When we're not praying, who do we tend to trust in? Selves. Yeah, consider maybe Proverbs 4.23. Keep your heart with all diligence or vigilance. Okay, if we're not daily praying that we would be pure in heart, then there's lots of temptations and enticements and we're so easily led astray. Okay? And yet, how do we know what it looks like to trust in the Lord with all of our heart? How do we know what it looks like to keep our hearts with all vigilance? Well, we have, we're biblical counselors, we have the Word of God, right? 
And so to know this, we have to know God's word. And that's why in Paul's unceasing prayer for them in verse nine, he prays this, that they may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Now, how important is knowledge in our lives? Pretty important. You got dressed this morning, right? You had to have the knowledge of where your clothes is, how to put your clothes on, very simple things. Uh, I've shared this illustration with those at Grace Community Church, but and it wasn't one of you, so you're off the hook. But uh, I was working in the toddler classroom uh, several months ago, and an individual came in, a man came in, and the door was shut behind him so little toddlers wouldn't run down the hallway and escape. And uh, when it came time for him to leave, he got to the door and he <clears throat> found this childproof device on there. Now, in the moment, uh, he didn't have the knowledge to know how to use that. And so as he was kind of frantically trying to do that so he wouldn't look silly, uh, somebody behind me began laughing at him and suggested he just reach over the half door and get the knob on the other side and let himself out. <laughs> to which he quickly sheepishly did and disappeared. Okay, so getting that door open isn't hard at all if you have the knowledge of how to squeeze that little device and turn the knob or simply reach over and get the knob on the other side. But in that moment, he didn't have that knowledge properly working within him. Okay, And so knowledge matters. If we don't have it, then you give me good illustrations like that one. Right? We need knowledge to know how to function properly. And in Paul here, the knowledge that he refers to matters greatly because it's the knowledge of God's will. And this is why we do biblical counseling. Do we not want those that we're ministering to to know God's prescribed will for their lives? And his prescribed will is not discovered on Facebook. It's not discovered on TV. It's discovered in his revealed will, his authoritative, sufficient will. Word that we get the privilege to share with others. And we want to show them that sufficiency as we meet with them. And yet note here uh, that Paul not only prays that they would have the knowledge of God's will, but they would be what? Filled with the knowledge of God's will. And if you study this word, it's interesting uh, to be filled with the knowledge or to be filled with something is to be um, almost controlled by it. It overflows from you. And so I have a bottle of water here. It's full. If I took the lid off and squeezed it. What's going to happen? Water is going to come out because it's full of water. And likewise, God wants us to be so filled with the knowledge of his will that as we speak, as we act, as we're squeezed and pushed in this life, what's going to come out? His will. Because we're richly indwelt. And we know how to please him in the midst of the circumstances and trials and temptations in life. And so Paul prays that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will. And so that then is the root of our prayer. If you want to put this into a picture form, it's the knowledge of God's will. It's knowing God's word, which is always essential for living unto God. What did Jesus pray for his people in John seventeen seventeen? Yeah, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Whose prayer was that? Jesus. 
Yeah. He was praying that his people would know the word because it's by the word that we become more and more like him as we depend upon the spirit of God. And so if we're going to live for, if we're going to look like his son, then we must know his word. And yet take note of that next phrase there in Colossians 1, 9. It says, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So what kind of wisdom and understanding? Spiritual. spiritual. Is that important? Yes. Can we figure things out on our own? No. Or do we need the Spirit of God? Do we need to uh, be dependent upon Him for that? Jesus said in John sixteen thirteen, When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth. And so part of counseling is we put forth the word of God to others. We don't just give it to them and say, okay, now go do this. Okay, I just recently observed a counseling session. That's basically what took place. Um, Here's what God calls you to do now. Go do it. And this person has failed over and over and over and over and over again in their lives. What What was missing? An utter dependence upon God. I can't do this. Apart from him, we can do nothing. And so it's dependence upon him in prayer. God has called you to do this. If you will look to him, he'll give you the enabling grace to do it. We have to have the spirit of God to grant both the understanding as well as the power and the ability to do that. We are dependent and we need to teach our counselees, therefore, to pray. Now, going back to Colossians 1.9, um, what is the spiritual wisdom and understanding there? So Douglas Moo observes that uh, wisdom and understanding are often used together in the scriptures. Uh, And in verse 9, it would describe, as he says, uh, the spirit-enabled ability to discern the truth and to make good decisions based on that truth. Again, isn't that what we want to see in our counselees? To discern the truth and then to know how to think and respond rightly. And so for that to take place, then then we and they must pray that the Spirit of God would grant them the understanding and the ability to walk accordingly. Uh, A.W. Pink, in his book on uh, gleanings from the Apostle Paul on prayer, uh, wrote the following concerning the knowledge of God's word. He says, it is not sufficient to have a general superficial knowledge of the word. It must be translated into practice. The spiritual insight is required and spiritual insight is required for that so that we may perceive when and where and how to perform each action. Only that wisdom which comes from above will enable us to order our lives in every relation and situation according to the revealed will of God. And so a question you might perhaps ask your counselees to help them further think through this truth is this. What is the role of prayer and the Holy Spirit in knowing and rightly understanding God's will for your life? Okay, now the answer to that may be pretty obvious to us. um, But somebody who's struggling, uh, just a reminder, maybe they know these truths intellectually, but experientially they're not being put into practice. And so just a dialogue over them and, and remind them the importance of dependence upon God and the spirit of God to rightly understand and be able to live unto Christ. All right. Continuing in Colossians 1, 9 through 10, uh, Paul writes that they may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Yet for what purpose? 
So, as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him. Now, if knowledge spiritually understood is the enabling root, uh, then walking is the fruit of prayer. We are to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Of course, our walk, that word literally means to live. It's to be our conduct. And so to live or to conduct yourselves in a manner that is reflective of God's glory and his work in your life and the fact that you belong to him. Uh, To that end, A.W. Pink wrote, To walk worthily of the Lord signifies to conduct ourselves as saints should, to act in accordance with the character of the one whose name we bear and whose followers we profess to be. And so the next phrase for consideration in Colossians 1.10 says, So to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, and then catch this, fully pleasing to him. That's a pretty high standard. Fully pleasing to him. The NASB renders this to please him in all respects. And so it may be important to clarify um, with your counselee um, what living a life fully pleasing to the Lord um, looks like, what it means, what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that we can earn his favor in regards to our justification. Okay, if you put it there, uh, then at what point have we done enough to, to allow God to justify us? Okay, there's some bad doctrine in that. They're trying to self-atone when Christ has already said it is finished. Okay, listen to these words by Brian Hedges on what it means to be fully pleasing to God. It says, his prayer, Paul's prayer, therefore, is directed to those accepted in Christ, which means that it concerns not their legal status, but their everyday conduct, which may be more or less pleasing to God as their father. Nothing we have done or can do, either before or after coming to Christ, can earn or merit favor with God. Okay? Now, if you do a good amount of counseling, you're going to find that there's a lot of people who struggle with this. Am I good enough? They, they try to base their assurance upon their works and not the work of Christ meritoriously. And so this is something we need to help them understand. And this passage can actually be confusing to them um, if they're basing their justification uh, upon this rather than uh, upon Christ. But if they are truly justified, then what is the saint going to want to do? He's going to want to fully please Christ. Again, how does he do that? Paul prays that they would be filled, overflowing with the knowledge of God's will that they may then walk in such a manner. Again, prayer is absolutely essential. If we're going to have a life fully pleasing to the Lord, anything that resembles that even closely, uh, prayer is absolutely essential. And that's why Paul starts off this letter praying for, for them. And so, knowing God's word, obviously very important. Going back to that with D.A. Carson, he wrote, We cannot begin to uh, uh, be utterly pleasing to Jesus unless... God fills us with the knowledge of his will. Conversely, the knowledge of his will is not an end in itself, but has as its goal such Christian maturity that our deepest desire is to please the Lord.
Christ. And so in helping our counselees know what to pray for in regards to walking in a manner worthy of the Lord, you might consider asking them a question such as this. In what specific ways can you pray for growth in pleasing Christ in your character, conduct, and conversations? Okay, it's not just a list to go do. We want them to help them understand what it looks like to be pleasing to God in conduct, in character, in conversations, but also to pray those things. Okay, here's God's will. Now pray that he would bear this forth in your, in your life. Again, teaching them to be dependent upon the Lord in prayer. Now, thankfully here, Paul, Paul doesn't leave us uh, to guess as to what it means to live a life pleasing to the Lord. Okay, um, ultimately that means to look like Christ. But he gives in the next few verses four participles that describe what it looks like to live a life pleasing to the Lord. These are four things that we certainly want to see characterized in our own lives, that we want to pray for ourselves, and also we want to pray for our counselees and help them understand. And so what does it look like to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord? First, um, to bear fruit in every good work. Now, don't we long for fruitfulness in our own lives, as well as to see fruitfulness in the lives of those that we minister to? And so we must pray for that. In John fifteen eight, Jesus said, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear a little bit of fruit every now and then. Now, is he worthy of a little bit of fruit every now and then? Now, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples, to show that I am your Father, that Christ is your Lord. To bear much fruit. And so how do we connect this so far? Let me give you a counseling scenario here concerning bearing fruit. Some time ago I had a a man come to me um, recognizing he needed some formal counseling if you will. And the reason was he was characterized as a very angry man. In fact what finally led him to come get counseling is his wife told him that Every time you're home, the kids and I are walking on eggshells. Okay, so he had a pretty serious, ongoing anger issue. And so we began to, to talk through this. Good counselees gather data, right? They listen, they ask questions, they seek to understand what's behind the anger. Anger is not something that happens to you. It's something that comes from within. What's going on? What are you wanting? You're not getting. What are you getting that you don't want? All those types of things. And we began to to go through in regards to his family. Um, you know, what does it look like uh, concerning your anger? What has God called you to do and enabled you by his spirit to do to please Christ? And so, of course, Ephesians is full of that, right? Put off every form of sinful anger. Instead, be kind, tenderhearted, forgiving one another in Christ as God has forgiven you. And then carrying that into to the marriage relationship. And as I was talking to him about these things, he's been a believer for years. He he knew these passages. He knew these truths. And so the question I asked him, you know, have have you really made this a matter of daily prayer? And the answer was no. After it happens, I pray, Lord, forgive me and help me do better next time. But then that's it. And so in praying Colossians 1, 9 through 14 and praying some passages uh, in Ephesians, I said, okay, let's start off each day of the week by praying that the knowledge of God's will that you already have would bear fruit in your relationships. And gave him some things to pray through. He did that. He comes back the next week and said, man, it was a way better week. 
Why is it? What is one of the fruit of the Spirit? It's it's all together as one ultimate fruit, but last one mentioned is self-control. So, yeah, boy, I I usually live for myself, but this week I really wasn't doing that, and the Lord granted me self-control. What had he done different? The main thing was prayer. He already knew all this stuff. He just wasn't praying that it would actually bear fruit in his life. And so again, do we bring him the word? Absolutely. But do we want to bring them before the Father in prayer? Both are absolutely essential. Prayer is most often neglected. All right, second fruit. Increasing in the knowledge of God. And so Paul prays there in verse uh, 9 and 10 um, that they would... Uh, be filled with the knowledge of God's will, then he prays that they will be increasing in the knowledge of God, uh, which is to know God's will and to live for him accordingly. Um, and, and if you think about this, the more that we know God and we know his will and we live accordingly, is it not the more that we want to know God and live for his will accordingly? The more that we then want to know more of God and live to his will accordingly because he blesses us in that. That's what we're called to. There's great joy in that And so Paul prays that they would increase in their knowledge of God. Uh, maybe another illustration. Um, some years ago, uh, I had an individual I was working with, and this individual really struggled with resentment, uh, primarily in the context of his marriage. He had expectations upon what marriage was going to look like, and it really just didn't play out that way. And so one of the, the passages, the word, that mainly ministered to him was Philippians 4, 4 through 13. Uh, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Well, that wasn't characterizing him. Well, why not? The Lord is at hand. Is the Lord not all that he needs? And, and we, we went through and we talked through various passages, Philippians 4, 8. Think on those things which are above and then practice those things. And then... Uh, the passages, I think the two verses that really hit home the most were Philippians 4, 11, and 12, where Paul talks about, I've learned the secret of being content in any and every circumstance. And he was not content in any and every circumstance. In fact, he was very discontent. And so the question that was put for him then is, okay, how had Paul come to this conclusion? Did God change Paul's circumstances so he could be content? Or had Paul come to know so much of Christ? That it didn't matter what the circumstances are. He learned he could be content in all circumstances. Okay, how does that apply to your marriage? God has given you in Christ all that you need. Christ is all that you need. In him you can be content. And so, in, in encouraging him then to pray accordingly, what began to manifest, the fruit that began to be born in the midst of that, is not looking to his marriage for what he could get out of it but rather being content in Christ and knowing that joy was to not look at his marriage as something which could serve him, but rather how could he serve Christ and his wife in the context of his marriage? Okay, Situation hadn't really changed at all. Perspective changed greatly. And his joy then was greatly increased as he began to love his wife as Christ loved the church. And so again, prayer was a huge part of that, that the Lord would enable him to be content, even in that circumstance. Well, third, Paul prays in verse 11 that through the knowledge of the Lord, um, that they would walk worthily, and that looks like being strengthened with all power. 
I mentioned earlier, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, it says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Now, how is this command to be strong practically experienced on our part? Is it not through prayer? As we appropriate the word of God, asking for his enabling power for his strength to uphold us. Again, the word is there, but the word must always be accompanied with prayer. Lord, strengthen me that I may stand strong. All right. And so when we encounter those who are anxious, who are despairing, who are struggling to press on, um, one thing that I've noticed oftentimes is a lack of biblical prayer. Uh, And a good example of this, I can't ever really get away from it, um, Pilgrim's Progress. Right? Pilgrim's Progress. At this point, it is Christian and hopeful. They are on their way to the celestial city. They've been instructed to stay on the way. But the way, the path is getting a little rocky. And it's headed uphill and their feet are hurting. It's not very comfortable. And they look to the left and, oh, there's Bypass Meadow. Boy, that would feel much better to walk that way. And it kind of looks like it's going to wind up in the same place. And so what did they do? Did they pray about it? What has God said about staying on the way? No, they just said, oh, the grass is greener on the other side. Hey, let's go. And so they did. And you know what happens? They're captured by giant despair. They're put into Doubting Castle. They're beat nearly to the point of death. For several days, they have neither food nor water. And finally, what does one of them say? Oh, we should pray. What would have happened had they prayed in the first place? They would have stayed on the way. They would have avoided all of that trial. But thankfully, and I heard somebody say this recently, we can take 10 steps away from God, but it's only one step back. Right. And as as we turn and look back to him, he is so gracious to his children to, to bring us right back. And they prayed. And in that prayer, Christian was reminded of the gospel because at the cross, he was given a key. And that key then opened up every door to the dungeon and they were able to find the way of escape, which is found ultimately in Christ. Okay, and again, where did they come to experientially realize that? It was through prayer. Okay, and so going back to Colossians 1, 11, uh, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. Now, a note of encouragement here in verse 11, this phrase being strengthened is continuous for the believer through the Holy Spirit. Okay? Does the Holy Spirit ever run out of strength or power? No. And who is it that is continually at work within us? The Holy Spirit. And yet we need to look to him that experientially we may know that uh, and the fruit of that. And so prayer is a means by which we are strengthened according to his glorious might. So what did Paul pray they would be strengthened for? Going back to verse 11, um, pray that they would be, oop, missed a verse here. Okay, so being strengthened, uh, Ephesians three sixteen. There we go, Ephesians three sixteen. Paul prays that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with 
power through his spirit in your inner being. Do you need any other kind of strength? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's it. It's infinite and it's continuous. And so that should be encouraging to us. And so to be strengthened according to his glorious might, um, what did Paul pray that they would be strengthened for? Verse 11, for all endurance and patience with joy. And so concerning this, all endurance and patience, uh, listen to what D.A. Carson wrote. He said, they are so far beyond endurance and patience, so far beyond human capacity that they require the power of the spirit of God. These virtues enable the believer to survive with joy when persecuted, to triumph in self-composure and contentment when insulted, to trust God's all-wise and all-gracious providence when one is suffering like Job. When Jesus sees these virtues in us, he is well pleased. Hmm. All right. Continue in Colossians 1. Verses 12 and 14, a fourth manifestation of prayer and living a life pleasing to the Lord involves giving thanks to the Father. Giving thanks to the Father. Verse 12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you. Qualified you for what? To share an inheritance of the saints in light. Should we be thankful for that at all times? But it continues. We should give thanks because he has delivered us from what? The domain of darkness. And not only that, he's transferred us where? To the kingdom, eternal kingdom of his beloved son. In whom we have what? The redemption, forgiveness of sins. And so people generally come to us for counseling, not because things are going well, but because they're needy. Because something isn't going well, because they need help. And whatever need they share with us, we want to help them Look to God's word. We want to help them pray, look unto Christ. And so referring again to D.A. Carson, he says, if God had perceived that our greatest need was economic, he would have sent an economist. If he had perceived that our greatest need was health, he would have sent a doctor. But he perceived that our greatest need involved our sin, our alienation from him, our profound rebellion, our death. And he sent a savior. And so again, to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord means that we are continually giving thanks in all circumstances. And so a question that you might ask your counselees based on these verses 12 through 14 is this. What are some reasons to continually rejoice with thanksgiving? Okay, it's easy to focus upon our circumstances when they're not good and complain. But as we think about what we haven't been given, the eternal wrath of God, and what we have been given, life in his son, life abundant, and as we think about those gospel truths found in these verses, then we can rejoice even when things are hard because we're remembering the, the big picture. All right. So Colossians 1, 9-14, it's, it's a wonderful prayer for us to pray for ourselves, to pray with and for those that we are counseling with. Um, and as we wrap up, uh, we want our counselees to not only be filled with the knowledge of God's will, but we want their prayers to be filled with the word of God, that they would bring God's word back to him, that they would pray biblically. And so I'm going to conclude our time with just a practical tool. So I think in track one, or was it in here? Randy did his counselor's toolbox. Yeah. Is that here? Okay. 
So here's something else you can add to your toolbox. Okay, I think this is Randy Patton approved. If not, you can go ask him. And it's, it's Dan Kirk approved, though, because Dan's actually the one who shared this with me several years ago. We invited him to come down and speak at our family retreat, and uh, he shared this with me. And I've used it off and on uh, through the years, and I found it to be very, very helpful. And so let me just share with you a practical tool that you may want to use in your own life if you don't already have a well-established uh, method, so to speak, of praying, or if you're working with a counselee and they're they're really not praying, or they're really not praying biblically, they're they're far from unceasing prayer as we've seen it today. Um, this is just a tool uh, to help with that. And so, I brought my latest rendering of uh, this prayer guide. Uh, just a practical note: if you want to do a prayer journal, or encourage them to do a prayer journal. Um, I started out with those cheap little college things, and they're great. Uh, but the problem is when you want to add more in, you can't really add more into those. Or like I have my care group in here, and we change care groups every two years. And in the course of 10 years, it's hard to keep everybody in there and really pray for everybody. So I make it my focus to pray on those inner circles first and foremost. And so I add some in and, and at some point take some things out. Um, and so by getting a journal like this with little rings, you can add more in. If you need more room, you can take some out if you want to take some out. And so practically, I suggest uh, this size 5, A5. If you go to like Amazon, there's A3, 4, 5, A3 is like really small. And you can't get much on there. Uh, A6 is really big and it won't fit in your Bible cover. Um, and so, again, whatever you want, it's all a preference thing. But A5 seems to be kind of right there in the middle with that. So with that practical detail, um, what does this look like? Um, developing a prayer journal. And so it starts off uh, just by using what a lot of us already use in our prayer, perhaps. Uh, a, adoration, C, confession, the, uh, T, thanksgiving, S, supplication. And with that, um, what you would write in each one of those. And so here's page one of mine on adoration. And so I can't read it on the screen, so I'll read it out of here. Um, Revelation 4.11. And so as I'm starting off my quiet time in the morning, uh, this is helpful in a lot of ways. You know, one, if I just get up and, and sit down to pray, I'm not the most alert person in the morning, even with a cup of coffee in hand. Uh, it helps me to have a little bit of structure. And so I start off with a verse like Revelation 4.11. Worthy are you, O Lord uh, and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Now that immediately starts getting me going. Because I start thinking about him and who he is, the one who has not only created, but the one who has made me a new creation. I don't feel like much of a new creation 536 in the morning but as i'm starting to think about those truths he's starting to warm my affections right the thing about him as creator and i'm hearing the you know the the squirrels chirp and, and the birds sing and i'm looking around and seeing the fruit trees and just seeing god's creation and and in my backyard there's about 100 rabbits to the right all these wonderful things that god has created uh it's, it's just amazing to think about his creation and the god who made all of these things and so just adoration, starting out with adoration. And then confession, uh, after spent a little bit of time acknowledging God and who he is. Does it not happen pretty much every time we start to think about God and his goodness and his holiness? We're reminded of our sinfulness and neediness. And so it just makes sense. Isaiah 6, right? Holy, holy, holy. Woe to me. Right? And that's kind of what prayer does. We remember who God is. We remember who we are. And then we take some time to confess our sins. And so with each of these things... 
Um, all that is put in here is verses. Just praying the scriptures. And obviously you can build out of that and, and personalize that in a sense and make application of that, but you're just praying the Bible. God has given you his word that you might know him. He's also given you his word that you might know how to respond to him and how to talk to him. So you're just praying the scriptures. And so confession, lots of verses. I mentioned earlier Psalm 51, uh, Psalm 139, 23, and 24, 1 John 1, um, 5 through chapter 2, verse 2. Lots of different verses that you can use to guide your time of confession. Um, Thanksgiving, lots of verses as well for Thanksgiving, supplication. And so as we get into supplication, uh, in my journal, this is the biggest section. Um, because if there's going to be unceasing prayer, if I'm going to acknowledge God in all things and acknowledge others and, and their struggles before God as well, um, then that requires just more space. And so in, in, in my journal, I have a daily section and you can probably see that on the screen. You have B-L-G-J-K and hidden behind there is E for Ella. And so that's the first initial for each one of us. Those are things I try to pray for my family every day. I pray for myself. So what do I pray for myself? Here's an example. Uh, one of the key passages, 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15, that it be the love of Christ that compels me or controls me. Um, because of the gospel, I would no longer live for myself, but for him who for my sake died and was raised. Okay, that's a verse I pray for myself every day. Because I know I am prone to not be compelled by the love of Christ the way I should, rather the love of self. And I need each day to no longer live for myself, but for him. And so I, I pray that for myself on a daily basis and then different verses to pray for those in my family. So that's part of, of the daily prayer. And then from there, as we think about unceasing prayer, we go into the days of the week um, and supplication. And so this, again, is just what I do. You obviously make your own categories, but there's certain things that I believe I need to be praying for on a regular basis and that often I will forget. How many of you have ever told somebody... I'll pray for you. And don't raise your hand, but then you didn't do it. <laughs> okay? This is a way to say it and actually follow through with it. And not just once, but on a regular basis. And then when you see them again, if you're praying for them, right? If you love someone, you'll pray for them. And the more you pray for them, the more you'll love them. And if you're actually praying for them, you might actually follow up and say, Hey, you know, you shared this the other day. I've been praying this for you. How are you doing? Okay? And so this leads to that unceasing prayer for one another. And so... On Sundays, um, it's Sunday, right? First day of the week, we gather to worship. And so I'll pray verses like Romans ten seventeen, faith comes from hearing, hearing through the word of Christ. I pray, Lord, grant your people today the ears to hear and, and grow them in their faith and their love of you. Uh, Monday, um, for me, is so, sort of kind of sometimes a day off. Uh, and so Monday, I kind of focus in for the week as a spiritual leader of the home. Um, what is my responsibilities? What are the things this week? What do I need to be aware of, think through, pray for in regards to my family? And so um, pray accordingly there. Tuesday um, generally is our, our counseling ministry focus where we do more of our community counseling in the evenings. Um, and so I try to pray then for those that I'm counseling. Uh, pray for those who are doing the counseling. Pray for the counseling ministry in general. And so there's just some verses that um, are typical counseling-related uh, verses that I would pray uh, in that ministry. And then um, Wednesday um, is at our church. We do small group Bible studies in the evening. And so that's the time where um, I'll pray for those who are coming to that, those in my care group and the needs that they've shared. 
And as they share each Wednesday night, try to make a mental note of that or write down those things. And then, okay, what verse speaks into that? And then pray that verse for them. And then the next time I see them, guess what I can do? You know, how are you doing with that? You know, I've been praying this for you. You know, have you considered the, the promises of God for you in regards to this or the, the precepts of God in, in guiding you in that? Um, Thursday, uh, leadership. And so pray for the leadership of our church. And Friday, missions. And so our church, we have about 20 different um, individuals that, that we sponsor financially or through prayer. And if I don't have a regular time to do that, I can quickly lose sight of that. Um, and then Saturday is generally the time that I have the most involvement in community. It's generally the time that I'm going to encounter unbelievers more. And so it's just a reminder to me um, to make the best use of those opportunities as I encounter others in the community and to share the gospel with them. And so, again, you can put whatever you want in there in those days, but those are the things that, that I feel compelled to pray for on a regular basis. And this helps me do unceasing prayer for those things. So, again, just a tool. Uh, but maybe helpful. Some of the benefits of that, as we wrap up, um, prayer does become more unceasing. Those things that we need to pray for over and over and over again, this helps you remember those things we should pray for. And then also, what are you praying for them? God's will, the word of God in, re- in relation to each one of those things. Also, prayer becomes more biblically informed. It's not, okay, Lord, help my wife to have a great day. Okay, I mean, that can be a good, sincere, heartfelt prayer. But what does a great day look like according to God's will? Lord, help her to walk in a manner worthy. Help her with the children to be patient today. Help her to be kind and tenderhearted. Okay, and just pray those scriptures that that perhaps I can later encourage her with. And then last, prayer becomes loving conversations. Right, if you love someone, you'll pray for them. The more you pray for them, the more you'll love them. And if you've been praying the word of God for them, guess what you can talk about with them the next time you're with them? The will of God, the word of God, the promises, the precepts of God's word. And you can encourage them with that. All right. Any questions on that? Real quick as we're out of time. Okay. Well, hopefully that was beneficial. Let me pray for us and y'all can go have a, a coffee break. Father, we do thank you that you have created us in your image in such a way that we can know you and relate to you. And we thank you that through Christ, we do have direct access to you now. We thank you that our sins are forgiven and that we have been credited his righteousness, clothed in his righteousness, that we may come into your presence. And so, Father, help us not to neglect this great and awesome gift and privilege of prayer. But, Father, help us to increasingly delight in you through our communication, our communion with you. And Father, help us as well to be those who encourage others to not only know your will, but Father, to pray, to ask, and to know that when we ask according to your will, that it will be given unto us. But Father, help us and help those that we minister to, to uh, as needy people, come before you and to seek your provision. And Father, I thank you for each of these, their desire to not only grow in you, but to help others to do the same. We pray that the fruit that would come out of this would multiply over and over and over because you are worthy. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.